morning. Feel free to have a seat. We're going to have our second Advent lighting today and done by the Ostalis family. So I'll pass you the mic and you can uh, lead us through this. To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was asking a lot of a law of Abraham, not to mention his age, leaving everything you know and go to the place I will show you. Put your trust in me and I will bring you to a place with, that will someday be known as Canana. I will make you a great nation. You don't have to, you don't have any children yet, but trust me, you will. Yes, God asked a lot of Abraham. But God promised Abraham even more. He promised descendants, blessings, and protection on the journey. God asked a lot, promised a lot, and Abraham had faith. As he embarked on this journey, he put his trust in God, and God gave him peace. The peace that filled Abraham as he embarked on a very unknown, dangerous, and difficult journey is the same peace that God offers to us today in the midst of our unknown, dangerous, and difficult journey. God asks a lot, but he promises so much more. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit stir our faith. As Abraham believed and followed, may we also now believe and follow. Protect our hearts and minds amidst our own difficult journeys as you awaken our trust in you. Promises in your name, in your promises. In your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Yay, family Costales! <laughs> While the kids come on up. We're going to have Shana pray for your families, and then you guys can head off. We're going to pray for your moms and dads today, and also for all the families in our church. I know people like Scarlett and Peter, they might be watching from home. So we also want to pray for them, okay? Okay, kiddos, will you bow your heads? We're going to say a prayer. Bow your heads with us. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these little lives, and thank you for the parents that want to show them your ways, Lord. We pray protection over them. We pray renewal for their parents, and we just pray over their church family, that we can be a family that helps guide them and keeps them in our prayers daily. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome here. And just some two uh, things to share with you. One is next Saturday, we're going to be having combined service, which means we start at 1030. Yeah, halfway through. What did I say? Saturday? Whew. I guess I need to take my glasses off. Okay. So Sunday, we'll be starting at 1030. And we'll have a combined service here all together. And that will culminate in the end with... Um, if you would want to bring some Christmas cookies to share with the with the church, decorate them festive, however you want. Bring your favorite recipe. We'll have a time there, and then um, maybe we can do like a keyboard out or something and uh, do some Christmas carols out there all together. So that's next Sunday. We'll begin at 10:30. On the 19th, the following Sunday, we're going to have um, all the families who want to come together in the. Uh, later part of the day on Sunday, and we're going to watch the movie The Star together. We'll do it here in, in uh, Hyatt Hall so the kids can sit there and watch the movie and the parents can hang out and just chat and talk. So that's on the 19th, and next Sunday, the 12th, we'll be gathering at 10.30. Um, check if our prayer time is now. We have communion today, so it'll usually throw us in a little. Let's go ahead and pray. Now, Father, we ask now that you would hear the prayers of your church, the prayers of your people. You have called us uh, sheep in need of a pastor. In this world, you, you recognize the ways in which we, we have been battered, in which we are also pulled to go astray. And your desire was to come to lead us. Lord, this, this morning, we recognize once again that you are our one pastor, our true pastor. You are the one who comes to bring both the, the rod to put us back on the path to correct, but also for the shepherd's crook to, to gently guide us and to rescue us amidst the thorns that this life brings. Lord, we praise you that you're that you are able to touch each one of our lives. <laughs> that all power, all presence is something that you offer to us. But Lord, not just for our own personal gain, but also for those around us that we know are going through hardship. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have been present in this world, both the visible and the invisible, in places where there are such sufferings, where there is starvation, where there is, where there is war and violence. And yet we come, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, as we stand in this middle ground between your arrivals. We as a church pray that, that your return would be, would be quick as we see the, 
the news of each new shooting or each new horrible action done by a fellow human being. As we watch um, the own, our own world under the effects of um, humans' use of resources and the shortages that that creates, Lord, we, we know that we need you to come again and to make all things new, to be that pastor who puts us on the path of righteousness, to bring healing and to wipe every tear from our eyes. you are good. Your mercy endures forever. And for that, we are here to worship you, to offer our lives to you, knowing that in your hands, there, there is where we find the hope for tomorrow. Here is as we pray those words you taught us, saying, our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're going to continue today in our series with Daniel, and I uh, really enjoy studying this, this book and this season, uh, particularly in Advent, as he also stood between these two arrivals. We talked last week about how he had been taken into exile, and there he found himself living in a time of anticipation that eventually God would come and restore Jerusalem, that eventually Daniel, his, his fellow Israelites, would, would be able to return to Jerusalem. But now, as, as, these, as this story of Daniel and his friends is being written, he is now having to wait. He is now having to wait for that time to come. It is not something that, that he can already have in his life. But just like, just like for many of us, we are waiting for the goodness of God in some small forms and then all together as a community of faith. As the church and across the world, we're waiting for Christ to return. So the full promises that he has given would also be ours. We left Daniel last week um, just having arrived into exile. And now here in chapter 2, we're going to see that a lot happens very quickly to Daniel and his companions as he is there. So this is Daniel 2, and let's, let's read two different sections of chapter 2. What's happening is Daniel has now been put alongside of the other wise people uh, in, in the court with the king. And the king has a dream, and it troubles him, and he doesn't know what his dream means. And so he asks his, his counselors to interpret his dream. Lo and behold, no one is able to do this. 
the king is, is so flustered that his decision is that since none of these people can serve him as he desires, that they are all to be terminated. They are all to be killed, including Daniel and his companions, Aaron, in the court that have had their names changed, who are eating vegetables, as we saw last week. So what we're going to see now is how Daniel responds to this very real reality that his life is now in jeopardy. Verse 17 of chapter 2. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. I'll pause there. So the miracle happens. The king then learns what his, his dream, what his interpretation is. And then what follows is in verse 48, after Daniel has saved the day for the king. Then the king, then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Okay. Last week, we left Daniel at the very bottom of society. He was something like a slave being, being, being captured, being dominated, being brought from his home now into Babylon. Just one chapter later, and he's gone from this place of zero influence. In fact, we talked last week about how when his name was being changed, how they, in fact, were trying to give Daniel and his friends a new identity. They were trying to indoctrinate them into the ways of Babylon to lead the ways of God. We took a plunge a bit into how our own world tries to change our names away from beloved son or daughter of God to serve the king. We talked a bit about how we, too, are, are under that influence of our world. So he's gone from chapter 1, where all of Babylon, the, the rulers, the kings, they're trying to change who he is and make him now melt and, into the mold of the society around him. Now into chapter 2, and the tables are completely turned. By the end of chapter 2, he now is the one who is of greatest influence in Babylon. He's put in charge. <laughs> He's put in charge of the entire province, even leading the wise men. The table, everything completely turned on its head. As, as, we, as we go through this book of Daniel, his entering exile in chapter 1, and then now into chapter 2, um, we find that God's desire is to be using the circumstances of our lives. And this sudden success that he has of, of dream interpretation should remind you of somebody else in Scripture. Who is that? 
Joseph, right? Joseph has a very similar plot line where he finds himself in a very difficult turn of events where his brothers sell him into slavery. He goes, he goes down a path that leads further and further into an abyss. But his also gift of dream interpretation, that as God comes and gives him that ability, also brings him into a place of success. It's a similar plot line. Now, do Daniel and his friends, does Joseph, are they simply catching a lucky break? <laughs> Is it a, a, like a perfect storm of events that they go from the bottom feeders to being in charge, almost running the country? What about Noah outsmarting the flood? What about Moses leading the Hebrews out of Egypt or Jonah or uh, Joshua harnessing the land beyond the Jordan? What about the numerous improbable victories won by the judges of Israel or the kings or the prophets? What about those 120 followers of a man named Jesus, a leader? 120 is what it says in Acts 1, the number of people who were following Jesus after they had watched that leader be publicly humiliated by being killed by crucifixion. How improbable then that 120 people would then give birth to what is now this global movement of Christianity. Taken as a whole, you can see that there, there is a unifying theme throughout the biblical narrative of, of God being very active in what's happening. If you take it as a whole, maybe one or two of the events you could, you could chalk up to a perfect storm, just, just lucky, lucky breaks in the lives of these people. But when you, when you put them side by side as one grand narrative, you see that we're trying to be told a story, that God is not on the sidelines. God has been intricately involved in, in this world and in the lives of, of humanity. And this continues to this very moment, that God's activity is alive in your, in your day from the moment you awake to the moment that, that you are asleep. God is active in doing something. He is busy. Now, the question is, what is God busy doing? What is he up to? And Joseph reminds us this. He is now at the end of this amazing journey in which he's gone from the very bottom to now being on top. And as he looks back through this entire journey, decades of being in the bottom to now be on the top, he can say to his brothers that had sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. We're going to get a little, a little uh, geeky today. So the, um, the Hebrew word here, kashab, for designed or planned or meant it, it's used all throughout the middle of Exodus, um, around Exodus 30, chapters before and after, 
when God was calling the people to, to build the tabernacle. And it's used to describe the people that were going to be um, doing the artistic, intricate projects in the temple, like weaving the cloth together or, or the stone masonry. And this is the same word that we see here as, as Joseph says that you intended to harm me. You, you, were, you were deriving a plot. You were composing. You were crafting a plot to, to, bring, to bring wrong, to bring evil. But God, God took these different, these different aspects, these different plot lines that you were trying to do for wrong, and God, God was able, like some master mason or weaver, like some composer of, of music, to take all these different parts, these different notes, and instead of them turning out to be something that was for wrong, he's able to artistically use them, making something like a, a tapestry of all that wrong and turn into something that Joseph says he can now see for the saving of many lives. All the parts of our lives that, that are, are broken, all the parts of our lives that, that are, have, have shattered like, like shards of brass, God is now composing a work of life with the broken shards of your story. And the kicker in this is that the life doesn't just, that word life isn't just something for your personal benefit. It's not just talking about believe in Jesus and, and then you get to have eternal life in heaven. No, it's greater than this. It includes this, but it's greater than this. As we see in the story of Joseph, God takes these broken parts of our life and he is then composing some rich work of art in which now also in our lives, we become part of some larger salvation in which God is touching other people, not just ourselves. Yes, you could say it begins here, that as our hearts turn, but then we become, we become one of the threads in this grand tapestry, this grand mission of God to bring his, to bring his saving message of his own life, life, death, and resurrection, to bring that message into this world. Paul will, will say something similar as he's writing to the church in Rome. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The word here for translated for good works, it's soon ergeo. It's, from, it's two words, soon and ergeo. Soon meaning with and ergeo work. So the idea being it works with or works together. Again, think about that tapestry. Think about that work of art. It's suggesting that God's taking all of those, those pieces in the world that we see maybe as disjunct and awful, and it says God is somehow working them together. He takes all those pieces and he brings them together, and somehow in his hands, under his power, under his influence, this divine wisdom and creativity ends up producing a work of art in our lives for the salvation. Here it says, for the good. Joseph says it's for life. 
That is what God is using. That's what God is doing in each of our lives. This, this busy one, this busy divine influence that's been there since Adam and Eve to this day. Jesus said that when I go to heaven, as I ascend after the resurrection, this is a good thing because my presence, my Holy Spirit will be with each one of you. And in so doing, he's now able to use, where does Jesus say that spirit is? Indwelling us. And in so doing now, this divine creator, this one who takes all those broken shards and puts them into some form of, of a work for life, is now the one who is working within your own messiness and also your triumphs and bringing those all together. He can use you in your strengths. He can use you in your weaknesses. He can take those decisions you made that were terrible and has caused harm. He can take those things that you have done that, are, that, that we applaud. He is working all those together so that tomorrow, <laughs> so that in the future, there would be good as a result. There would be life as a result. As, as we are now all part of God's plan, we are, as the Holy Spirit is within us, we are an incarnation of what God's doing, his presence, his influence, and his love. It's in you, and it's going to be something that happens through you to other people. We call this season Advent, yet it's not only a season that recognizes that first Advent of when Jesus came. It's not just a season that we recognize our expectation and anticipation for the second advent of when Jesus will come again. It's also the realization that each one of us is a is an individual advent. We're each, we are each a personal advent in which this, this, this God has decided to, to send his, his spirit to be a part of, now intricately a part of who I am. And I am I'm a living advent in that God is in me and God is working through me. Yes, we, we mark the important occasions 2,000 years ago when all this is made possible, when this, when this great work of art finds its downbeat in the birth of Jesus. And we look forward to that final fermata and closing of when Jesus will come again. But now in this middle time, you and I are, are under, <laughs> under the influence of this conductor or this composer that's now weaving the story of your life into, into this masterpiece of goodness and a masterpiece of life. We do that individually, but also we do that together as an Advent church. We do that together as, as, the, as the collection of people. Paul will also say that as we all come together, we are the living stones and we, the living stones, are being built together into what he calls the, the new temple. And the temple is where the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, was located. So as we come together as the church, community of his, of his followers, the spirit also has a certain indwelling among us when we're together in community that's unique. Coming as river of the valley together, we become also an advent a, a place where the Lord comes 
and in and through us together his presence, his influence, his love is here and working through us. One of the key parts of what we say about our church is we want to cultivate Jesus followers who live his love. Because we know that as, as a representation of Advent, we are to incarnate who God is. We live in his love by receiving the goodness that Jesus has come and called us to life everlasting. But also we live out this love as a visible representation to the world that's around us of the goodness and life that is found in Christ Jesus. So, that's what God is doing with each of us. As we look at Daniel, we begin to see that Daniel's teaching us to leverage our faith, to leverage your faith in God as the active creator. Leverage your faith in God as the active creator so that you might be filled with, with a hope, so that you might know joy, so that might you would know purpose. God is composing his masterpiece and your fullness of life, your own goodness, are main themes in what he is doing and what he is writing. I came, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it in abundance. Believe in me. Lord, I pray that you would now help us prepare for your table. Because we as a people of Advent know you are with us. You are dwelling in us. Your presence is something that we, we also, we can find hope in our faith that you are, you are the master, composer, designer, taking all those broken parts of our life, even the ones that we're least proud of, and creating something for your glory creating something for the salvation of many lives, making it good. So prepare us now as this time of, of offering, as we give back to you, as, as these words and this truth continues to resonate in our hearts, also be preparing us to find you in your real spiritual presence as we share this meal together. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Moving to our time of offering as we then prepare ourselves to come to the table. Mm -hmm.